Well, um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in the Psalms, and uh, so far we've looked at, we've been in the 40s for some reason, um, so we've looked at Psalms 42 and 43, thinking about where we look to for hope. Uh, last week, we were thinking from Psalm 46 about where we look to for strength, and we're sticking in the 40s today, and uh, from Psalm 49, this is a, a wisdom psalm, <clears throat> and we're going to be thinking about where do we look to for real treasure. In this world, where do we look to to find lasting treasure? And uh, when it comes to the topic of treasure, I think we find there's much that God has to say to us about these things. And so our psalm speaks of God's wisdom on this topic. And especially it speaks to us, I think, of the foolishness of making the things of this world, like wealth and money, our treasure. Now that I think is a great temptation for us, <clears throat> which is why there are so many warnings uh, in the Bible about that. Uh, of course, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. He says we'll either serve God and find our treasure in him or we'll find some counterfeit God like money or the things that we think it will give us. There's this real danger that we would let wealth uh, become our master. I think it happens as we start to look to, to it to provide us with the kind of things that only God is able to provide. When we start to think things like, if only I earned more money, well then I'd be happy. Uh, when I reach that amount of wealth, well then I'll have security. Or when we think, if only I could get that new gadget or that new farm or that better job, <clears throat> you know, those bigger barns, well, then people might look at me and think that I'm worth something. I think that's the deceitfulness of wealth that we're warned about, that we begin to look to money and the promises that it makes rather than looking to God, <clears throat> who is the one who has promised that he will provide us with all good things from his hand. And it's a temptation for all of us because we all have desires that we long to have met, and so the question for us as we come to this psalm really is, well, where will we look to to find treasure? Uh, our hearts will be captured by something. So will they be captured by the things of this world, which ultimately will pass away? Or will they be captured by a greater and more lasting treasure? <clears throat> so that's uh, where we're, what we're thinking about today. Uh, as we come to these words of wisdom from Psalm 49. And as you look there at how it begins, and straight away you notice that this psalm does address every single one of us in verse 1. It says, Hear this, all you peoples, listen, all who live in this world. It's a pretty broad audience uh, that the psalmist has got in mind there. And it continues in verse 2, Both low and high, rich and poor alike. See, this wisdom, it doesn't matter what your social standing is. It doesn't matter if you're on the top 100 rich list or if you're the poorest of the poor. Because what God has to say here about true wealth and about lasting treasure, well, this is wisdom for all of us. And the aim of this psalm is that we would have understanding, that we would be wise in the way that we live and shape our lives in this area. So the psalmist says then in verse 3, my mouth will speak words of wisdom, <clears throat> the utterance from my heart will give understanding. 
So as we listen, well, then the first <clears throat> wise lesson for us to understand, I think, is that we should be realistic about worldly treasure. Uh, if we're going to be wise in this area, then we need to make a realistic assessment of what money can actually do for us. And this is what the psalmist considers there as he begins in verse 5. Uh, he says, Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? Now, I think the psalmist here, as he writes this, he's probably not rich himself, and so it would be quite easy for him and others like him to have a false idea of what wealth and riches might bring, uh, to think that having it might free him from the fears and troubles of life. And so what he considers here is what really, well, what is the situation for the rich? What is it like for those who trust in their wealth and boast in their riches? What, what advantages are there? And it's at this point that we get a very realistic assessment of wealth. And the first thing to say that is that wealth has absolutely no value at all when it comes to matters of life and death. Because no amount of money can ever pay for a life. You see that from verse 7. It says, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. And so here is the first piece of wisdom to ask, well, what can wealth do for us when it comes to the inevitable matter of death? And I think having death as the backdrop, it really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Because while there might be advantages for the wealthy in this life, well, whatever advantages there are, well, that all disappears at death. The psalmist is saying that death is the great leveller. You can't bribe it. You can't pay it off. Uh, if that were the case, then the rich would have everlasting life. But no payment is ever enough. And so when it comes to matters of life and death, well, we see here the futility of boasting in riches, the limitations of what wealth in this world can bring. Now, I looked it up this week, and um, <clears throat> Elon Musk is uh, now the first, in first place as the richest person on the planet. I think he's been there since September last year or something. Um, 250-something billion uh, is now his net worth. But what would this psalm say to him? Now, how many extra days of life can all of that money buy him? How much influence can he exert over death with all of that money? Now, when it comes to the matter of life and death, well, no payment is ever enough that they should live on forever and not see decay. And so now we see here the folly of trusting in wealth in the face of death. No amount of money can ever pay for a life. Which also means, which the psalmist now goes on to explain, that irrespective of wealth, death comes to all. So you see that from verse 10. Uh, for all can see that the wise die, <clears throat> that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever forever. 
their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their riches, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. So what the wise writer of this psalm is saying is that he won't be spared. Uh, Neither will the foolish, neither will the rich or the poor. Uh, Death comes to all, it will come to you and to me. And whatever status we might have enjoyed in life because of money, well, all of that will disappear. The psalmist says here that the rich may have owned vast estates in this world, but the tomb will remain their houses forever. And this, the wisdom of this psalm here is echoed uh, in the teaching of Jesus. I mean, you think of the, uh, the parable of the rich fool. Uh, he tells of that man who produces great crops. Uh, we've got kids' books that you know, illustrate that. And you know, one year he puts in all these carrots and then corn and cabbages and you know, he keeps building, building extra bigger barns, storing up his well, thinking to himself, well, now that I've got all of this, now I'm going to be secure. Now I'm going to be set for the future. But God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. And the reason Jesus tells that parable, what's the same reason that God has given us this psalm? It's so that we would be wise about these things. So that we would understand that one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And perhaps this is what best brings this lesson home for us as we consider the end of life. The death will come to all, and what good will worldly treasures be on that day? In fact, as the psalmist continues, then the next thing we're told is that for those who have placed their trust in themselves and their wealth in this life, well, that will lead to destruction in the next. Verse 13, this is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. Friends, time and time again in the Bible, we are, we are warned about the deceptiveness of wealth. Uh, Paul warns Timothy, saying that some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Uh, Jesus warns of those who hear the word, but like seed that falls among thorns, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. And the message here for us is that we would then be wise in our assessment of these things. The psalmist wants us to make a realistic assessment about the true value of worldly wealth and not make the mistake of entrusting ourselves to it. Rather, what we need to do is to see its empty promises for what they are and instead to place our trust in what is true treasure. And so this is what the psalmist then goes on to speak about, how we can be, as God's people, assured of heavenly treasure. It's not really enough, is it, just to say, don't be deceived by wealth. Uh, 
um, because our hearts will be captured by something. And so what we really need is to be pointed to something much better. And what we see in this psalm is that throughout the psalm, well, there's really this contrast going on, which means that there's a choice for us to make. And the contrast is that there's the wise, but there's also the foolish. Uh, there's a death that is full of hope, but then there's a death that is without hope. There's a reliance we'll see in this world that will result in ransom and redemption. But then there's a reliance in this world that will end in destruction. And so far we've really been looking more at that negative picture, at the folly of relying on worldly treasure and the destruction that leads to. So we come now to consider the, the alternative. <clears throat> and what we've shown really is the assurance and the hope that there is for those who would find their treasure in God. <clears throat> because the psalmist knows, as we've seen, that death comes to all. But as he places his trust in God, we see that he is confident of a future full of hope. And you see this most clearly, I think, in verse 15. It's a wonderful verse. Take a look at what it says there. He says, But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Now, then compared with what we've seen in the psalm so far, I mean, what a wonderful confidence that is for the future. Life with God beyond the grave. God will redeem my life from the dead. He will surely take me to himself. And friends, what we can all take hold of here is that this is the hope for God's people. This hope of redemption and resurrection. This hope of new life in God's presence. And the ground of this hope here is not anything to do with us. Because the psalmist, you notice, he's not relying on anything to do with himself. Instead, his hope is found firmly in God and God's love for his people. He knows that God is the creator and the covenant-keeping God, the God whose love for his people is a love that is able to ransom and redeem and to bring new life. We saw earlier that we read that no one can redeem the life of another, that no payment is ever enough that they should live on forever and not see decay, and that is true because the ransom that we owe to God is death. Our sins mean that we belong to death. All the riches of the world cannot pay that ransom. But in verse 15, we see that the writer of this psalm knows that God will pay the ransom. God will redeem me. He will surely take me to himself. Now, as the writer of this psalm, as he writes this, I think he doesn't yet know how God is going to do that. But we do. And we know that the answer comes in the redemption that came through Jesus Christ, who by his death pays the ransom for us, pays the price that we could never pay. And God gives us that as a gift. And the Apostle um, Peter, <clears throat> in 1 Peter 1, he tells us about the ransom price that has been paid for our lives. He says that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or defect. Friends, that is how our future has been secured. As in his great love for us, God gave his son. As the Lord Jesus came and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus pays that ransom price that we could never pay. To wipe away the debt that we could, we could never, that, that would condemn us to the grave. Uh, Christ does for us here what all of the treasures of the earth could never do. So that we could now say with the, the same confidence here as the psalmist that God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. And that is the great hope that we have as Christians. That the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will, will raise us up with him. It's a hope we can be assured of because of God's love for us in Christ which is stronger than death, which has conquered the grave. And so there now awaits for us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. And so the wisdom of this psalm for us is that we would have understanding of these things. And this is the note that it finishes on today, that we would understand where true treasure lies. Um, this is how it began back in verse 3. Um, the psalmist said that he would speak words of wisdom to give us understanding so that we might live in light of these truths. And as we come to the end of the psalm, we now, I think, see even more clearly the folly of making worldly wealth our life's treasure. See from verse 16, it says, Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendour will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed and people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. And the psalm ends on that note which, as Ian pointed out, is it's a pretty bleak note to end on, isn't it? But I think that helps to drive home the whole point of this psalm for us. Because I think, you know, I do this, I think most of us probably do this, we can often catch ourselves imagining, you know, wouldn't life be better if I had more? And becoming envious of those who do have more than us. But this is the deceptiveness of wealth. And this is why we need to listen to the wisdom of this psalm so that we would see things in a proper perspective and understand where it is that true treasure lies. Because the truth is that worldly wealth, it, it never satisfies. You know, one person who, um, <clears throat> who has made it to the top, who's reached the heights of the rich and famous, um, is uh, Jim Carrey, uh, the very successful, very wealthy comedian. And quite um, famously, this is what he has said about wealth and success. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that that's not the answer. He's been there and it didn't satisfy. So let us not be overawed 
or envious when others grow rich. Let us not be deceived by wealth, because in this world it does not satisfy. In the face of death it cannot redeem. Instead, may we be those who listen to the wisdom of this psalm as it points us to what is true treasure, to the one who came and died to pay our ransom. Friends, that is the wonderful news of the gospel, that in, in knowing Christ, that we have been given treasure beyond imagination. So should we resent or envy the rich? Or those who seem to have it all in this life? Well, no, rather, I think if we truly know the riches that we have been given in Christ, then we would pity those who have nothing more than worldly wealth. And we should long for them, themselves, to, to come to know the true treasure of knowing Christ and living by faith in him. So may we be those today who live out the wisdom of this psalm, that we wouldn't run after the things of this world, but as we know the surpassing greatness of Christ Jesus our Lord, that we would say with the same joy and hope and confidence as the psalmist that God will redeem me from the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and God, we do uh, praise you today for all that you have uh, done for us in giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus. That he came to be our Saviour, that he came to rescue us from the empty way of life by his blood given for us. And Lord God, as we meditate on that sacrifice and that treasure that we have been given in him, the eternal inheritance that has been laid up for us, then may the desire for the things of this world grow dim and may our desire ever be for you and your kingdom. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.